Hello, everyone, and welcome to 1111 Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Haynes. Today, we are going to chat with Tamina Watson. Tamina is a nationally acclaimed and award-winning immigration attorney. She is the founder of Watson Immigration Law in Seattle, and her practice focuses on business immigration. She is a frequent speaker, author, and blogger, and is regularly quoted in the media, including CNN, Forbes, Bloomberg, and more. She has published numerous articles and two books, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, and Legal Heroes in the Trump Era, Be Inspired, Expand Your Impact, and Change the World. She is also the host of the podcast, Tamina Talks Immigration. Tamina is deeply committed to serving the community, as well as advocating for comprehensive immigration reform. Welcome, Tamina. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. You're very welcome. I'm really excited that we get to connect this way because um, we've done a couple of meditation classes together before, and I am excited really to learn more about your your career, your law firm, and your passion for immigration law in particular, Um, because I'll be honest, it's an area that I am not well-versed in at all. So I'm really excited to learn from you and to tap into your passion for that. And I was thinking maybe we could start, you could give a, a just a little brief background on who you are, where you come from, and how you felt called to get involved in immigration law. Sure. Well, thank you again for having me on your show. I remember as you were thinking of it, and I love the title of your show. So I'm very honored to be here. Um, I was born and raised in London, Uh, the United Kingdom. For a little while in my life, I lived in Bangladesh and then came back to London. Um, When I got married to my husband, I moved to the United States. And I was already a lawyer in the UK, but I was a baby lawyer. You know, I just graduated. So I had to really find my way again into the law when I moved countries. I took the New York bar exams, which uh, allows me to practice federal law from anywhere in the country. And at the time, I did not have a Washington state license. So it narrowed the areas of, of practice for me. And at the time, this is around 2006, I really didn't want to practice immigration law. <laughs> it's oh, wow. the one, it was the one area of law I absolutely did not want to practice. I grew up with, in a household where my father was an immigration lawyer in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a lawyer, but I wanted to do something different. But it turned out that the universe had a different plan for me. I so, so. <laughs> I had about three jobs come my way and they were all immigration And I kept saying no and no. It was the last one where I just said, oh, oh, well, I'll put my hands up, universe. I'm just going to do this uh, for at least a little while. And then I'll figure out what I do. And it was the first day that I fell in love with it. It was very much the universe sending me my calling, my vocation without me knowing what it was. I only understood it when I succumbed to it. And this is why I love it. I love it because I really wanted to make an impact on somebody's life with an area of law, using law as a tool. I wanted to to practice an area of law that was intellectually challenging. And I wanted to practice an area of law that would always keep me interested. I could see the beginning and the end of a case. Mm 
in in many legal fields, you could be working on a case for years without seeing the end of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily want to do that. Although, obviously, I didn't know that until I <laughs> fell into immigration. But what happens with immigration law is that you're very much impacting people's lives. You do see the beginning uh, to the end of a case, even if it takes longer these days. Cases these days can take two to three years when they used to take six to nine months. But um, I'm dealing with people's most important issues, their loved ones, or their livelihoods. So my clients are often individuals who are sponsoring their parents, their children, their spouses, or I'm helping individuals who are starting companies, investing in new companies, who need work visas to work for those companies, or I'm helping companies that are US-based companies already, but are hiring talented, skilled people from different countries. And uh, all of that is very, very near and dear to my heart. I've written a couple of books about all of those things. But one of the things that has really called me over the last four or five years is protecting people's rights, helping them um, make sure that they get the help they need, the information they need. And um, over the last four years, we've had a lot of tumultuous issues go on politically and mm -hmm. immigration goes hand in hand with that. And so that um, allowed me to create a nonprofit. Uh, in addition to having my day job, uh, there is a nonprofit. It's small, but it, it's impactful. And we train non-immigration lawyers in immigration law so we can expand the help that people need. Okay. Now, a couple of things within that that you said, um, the the length of time for cases running went, you said it used to be about six months to now a couple of years. Why is that so mm. much more difficult now? Really good question. So uh, two things. The previous administration actually took a broken system and really tore it apart. And so it's been gutted, as the administration calls it. There aren't enough people, there's not enough money, there's the procedures are broken. And then it was compounded by COVID where everything came to a standstill. So not only was there delays created by design through the previous administration, the delays compounded by these uncontrollable issues where embassies around the world were closed, uh, immigration offices around the country were closed. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of us, it's it's been such a blur the last two years that people don't necessarily remember everything. But offices <laughs> were closed between March yeah. and October last year. And so that has compounded the delay that we're seeing. For sure. That makes sense now. And it's true. I do forget, you know, it, it seems like the beginning of this whole COVID mess seems so long ago that you forget like everything stopped and was mm -hmm. shut down for a long while. So that does Very make much. sense. And another thing that you had brought up is um, you're really focused on protecting people's rights. Now, is that the rights of people who are already immigrants here or were in that process or those looking to come in or kind of everything? Like, can you elaborate on what you mean by protecting rights? Yeah, very good question. So if you think about 
the population that needs immigration help. There are, they are two types. There are those in the United States already, and there are those who are outside the US. Um, when I say protect people's rights, it's those vulnerable people who need immigration legal assistance right now to be able to figure out what to do, how to stay here. The last, um, the examples I can give you is when we had the previous administration, suddenly we had a Muslim travel ban. It came out of, you know, yeah. without, without notice. You might remember the images that you saw on the TV channels where people were protesting at airports and every airport yeah. around the country was full of people. At that time, people were banned from the country either as they were airborne in the middle of you know the air somewhere in the world. They were banned before they even got on the flight and the airlines didn't know what to do. They were banned as they arrived and landed on the tarmac. Right. And people who were actually walking through were banned. And so there was immediate chaos about what do you do with these people? Now, lawyers around the country stepped up to help. You might remember lawyers were sitting on the floor with their laptops, writing yeah. motions and briefs. And I would invite your listeners to read my book called Legal Heroes in the Trump era, where I sort of summarized what we had done. For me, I had coordinated lawyers in my area, which is Washington State, to help get to where they were needed. And that started with the airport, but it didn't stop there because we were sort of hamsters on a stressful wheel, yeah. you know, going one after another, uh, prevent, you know, helping in one crisis or another. And so after the airport lawyer, it, I helped create something called airportlawyer.org. It was in collaboration with some tech companies and with some other lawyers. And that helped get pro bono lawyers mm -hmm. to passengers wherever they were in the country so that their distress situation could be handled by lawyers who wanted to help. So that was a really pivotal time in this country and for lawyers around the country who really stepped up. But what continued from there was we heard about the raids that were going on and immigrants mm -hmm. were um, picked up from in front of their schools. Um, and, you know, one question your listeners might be thinking about is who was being picked up? Now, there are a lot of undocumented people in this country who came across the border from Mexico or elsewhere, primarily from Mexico. And that's where much of the debate la lies. You yeah. know, what do you do with them? But in the administration prior to that, there were criteria for who would be picked up. Now, one of the things that people should understand is when you cross the border without permission, that's generally a misdemeanor. And a misdemeanor is not something that makes you necessarily deportable as a crime. Um, what the administration just before this did between 2016 is change the priorities of who should be picked up. And the priorities basically included everybody. If you came here legally and overstayed, if you came illegally and you know remained here, if you mm -hmm. committed a crime of some sort, um, whether it makes you deportable or not, everybody became a target. And that is what was happening. People were being picked up. And so those people needed help 
you know, in the immigration court. And I started to think about how do we get immigration lawyers into the courtroom? One of the things that your listeners should understand is immigration law is complicated, time consuming, Mm -hmm. needs a lot of expertise that builds up over time. You know, I've been practicing for 16 years. I'm still learning. It's not something that another lawyer who practices, let's say, contract law can just pick up overnight. And so the number of people with this expertise was dwindling who could come out. I mean, the number is finite already, but to give pro bono help continuously, continuously is not feasible. People have their own rent to pay, childcare to pay for, employees to pay for. You have to work. Pro bono, one of the misconceptions about pro bono is that People feel, feel like lawyers should be doing pro bono, but pro bono is not pro bono to the lawyer. Pro bono means that the person receiving advice is getting advice for free. But that lawyer who is pro- providing that advice has to still pay for their mortgage and their childcare and what have you. It costs them time, energy, mm-hmm. and money. Filing, like every time you, I, I know a little bit, like with law, when you file something, mm-hmm. often isn't there a fee associated? Or yes. You have a paralegal helping you, you have to pay that person. Not everybody can just work for free and you have rent where you're working. That's and, right. That's um, exactly right. All of these cost time and money. So <laughs> when the lawyer is out there, even if it's for one hour, yeah. that one hour once in a while is totally fine. You're happily doing that. But when that hour becomes 10 hours a week, it's not sustainable. Or or even three hours a week, it's not sustainable. I would imagine too, honestly, the hours needed to work just on one person's case is probably a full-time job, (laughs) you know, or several, several hours a week. I would easily, easily. You're totally right about that. So what what became my calling? I loved Mm -hmm. using that word with you. And generally, Mm -hmm. because I realized that my calling had become seeing what's coming down the pike and being prepared for it to some extent and figuring out in advance, how we are going to be able to provide that Mm -hmm. um, in the immigration context anyway. And so uh, that led to, or while all of this was happening and I was thinking about what are we going to do, babies were being separated from the parents at the border. Yeah, and a lot of was happening at once. Like, oh, I'm yes. just trying to imagine, I mean, so it's multi-pronged, right? You're, you're talking about people coming into airports who are landing. Maybe they were coming for a job. Maybe they were coming to see a loved one, a wedding, a funeral, a vacation, whatever it might have been. I'm just thinking in one day, how many people across this country were they being detained at the airport? You, yes. you know, like that I'm thinking of that. So all of a sudden you have what thousands of people in a day needing help. And that's just the airport situation. And mm-hmm. then when you think about it from the aspect of picking up some, maybe it's um uh a parent picking up a child from school, maybe it's someone showing up to their job, Um, you know, maybe it is somebody kind of hiding out somewhere, whatever it is, like, there's so many different situations, like you're saying, like, who are they, you know, Mm. and um, so it, it feels incredibly overwhelming, just listening to you talk about it, even though you're speaking about it in a very calm way, when you think about the magnitude of what was happening. And then now we're getting into 
children being separated from their parents, you know, which is different than children coming in unattended, right? Mm -hmm. You are actually physically removing a child from the arms of a mother or father. And that is crazy to me. Yeah, you you hit it on the nail. And one of the key things you mentioned there is the child who was coming and it's called unaccompanied children, unaccompanied right. minors. Um, but this was very different. And right. it pulled on the heartstrings of every mother who's a lawyer. And they mm-hmm. came out and they helped. They helped with their heart. They cried. It was it was a, a very difficult time to be a lawyer because you want to help, but that you can only help in a limited amount. But sure. we still did what we could. And that's when the nonprofit came along and we trained immigration lawyers, non-immigration lawyers, we grouped them. And in Seattle, we had received about 200 of these parents without their children. Um, Some of them, a lot of them were parents, some of them were not, but they all came from the southern border. And so it was an interesting time, but what all of that led to was understanding that if not me, then who? If not Mm -hmm. now, then when? All of us have to step up when we feel called. And I kept feeling called um, over and over again. And even writing the book, you know, um, Legal Heroes in the Trump Era was a calling of sorts because um, I needed to tell the stories so people could understand that should this happen again, what you can do to help. One of the things that was very interesting is not just lawyers, everybody wanted to do something to help, right? you know, lawyer or not. And one of the things that I really wanted to have come across from the book is you don't have to be a lawyer to make a difference. One of the examples is we were helping one of the separated mothers who didn't know where her child was, by the way. Mm. And we had put this... We put this team together. This was our first team for the nonprofit. And um, we had her, she was released from the detention center. So we all went to greet her. But there were lots of people from the church who came to drive her from one place to another. There was already a group of people, um, then a nonprofit that has a a truck or one of those uh, vans outside the detention center for these people who have nothing saying, do you need a change of clothes? Do you need a a backpack to put your papers in? Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you need a bottle of water for wherever you're going? Everybody made such an incredible impact. And, you know, you don't have to do too much to make a difference because, you know, we're all playing a part, but what you do makes a difference. So that's what I wanted to have come across from the book. But what's interesting is, fast forward to 2021, all the work that I had done over the last four years paved the way to be helpful and impactful one more time as the Afghanistan situation mm-hmm. broke in the, into the news. And as Kabul was falling, I recognized one more time that we are going to need lawyers who need to know this area of law. And so without delay, I was able to coordinate with some people, collaborate and put on a training. And we have trained over a thousand lawyers to date, free of charge to everybody. Um, And it's been it's been incredible. I'm hoping the good karma will come back. (laughs) But it's (laughs) it's it's really important to me that those who want to help have the tools to be able to help, because if they do not have the tools, 
you're wasting that energy that needs to be used. And so right now there are vulnerable people sitting in Afghanistan, but also around the world if they were lucky enough to evacuate. And America is a nation of immigrants and America should be helping these people. You know, we should be because of the role that we have played. And America is trying to. We're trying to, which in whichever capacity you're working in. But as a lawyer, I see myself as I can only help in finding legal representation. So I'm using my expertise to be able to hone into that one area. And so currently I'm working with an organization here in Washington called Care Washington, Council of American and Islamic Relations. It's a national organization with chapters around the country. The Washington chapter is gearing up to do some profound and impactful work, and I'm closely working with them, where we're creating a novel program that builds on the work that I've done and elaborates on it because the magnitude of this problem is, is, you know, profound. And so when I come back to my calling, it comes back to how can I help the vulnerable using the skills and expertise I have to be able to bring together communities that also want to help? And how do I help them be helpful? And so it's been interesting doing all of this to know where I am in this world and what my purpose is. Yeah, I mean, you're not just approaching it from your skill set as a lawyer and helping to teach others what they need, like the other lawyers that are wanting to learn more about the the specialty of immigration law. But it sounds to me like you're also working collectively with just people from all walks of life who want to help in any way they can. And you're helping to facilitate this group effort, the many hands coming together to help. And so it's almost like two callings, (laughs) you know, but with the underlying premise being to help those who, who are disadvantaged from the standpoint of immigration or um, like what's happening in Afghanistan, which isn't necessarily I don't look, I mean, I don't look at it as an immigration aspect, but boy, what a debacle we've created there, I think, you know, um, and that goes back many years and, uh, you know, what the, what the right answer was there. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know know either. And I try not to think about it because when you say why and how it, it distracts you from what you can do. Right now. And so yeah. what we have is just now. Mm-hmm. And in this now, what can you do to make a difference? So I don't, I've, I've stopped questioning because I'm not in control of how these things work, but I yeah. am in control of what I can do. And I know I can make a difference. And I think that's one of the things that people need to understand that often we get bogged down with the how and why. Yeah. And we get paralyzed in the why. And we get paralyzed with the enormity of the problem. And it, it doesn't need to be Afghanistan. It could be any problem in your life. Sure. You often get paralyzed by the problem and you don't know what to do. But if you sit down and think about, use that anxiety as your fuel to energize you, that is how you can get 
something accomplished. And so over the last few years, the lessons I've learned is I'm just as scared as everybody else. You know, I'm scared for so many different reasons, you know, Mm -hmm. depending on what the problem is. But I've learned to harness that and see, okay, what are my to-do items? Let's make a list. Try to forget the, the scary part of it all and just keep moving. And if you keep moving, you'll propel yourself and you'll find that 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 fear is dissipating and you use it to keep moving. And I I think that's become my calling. And it's interesting because I didn't realize this until I was doing all of that, but that distinguishes you from others who are paralyzed. Everybody wants to do something, but if you can create that path, people will come and collaborate. And so I love that I can be useful when people are in need. And do you find that as you've kind of answered that calling or stepped in that direction, um, even at times when you weren't sure how you were going to pull it together, like maybe you had your action list, but you still didn't know how it was going to come to fruition. um, As you just had the courage to say, this is where I'm needed. And so this is the direction I'm going, the right people, places, opportunities came also? That's a really good question. And I'm still facing that with this project that I'm trying to get off the ground, but I'm trusting the universe. What you will find is the universe conspires to help you Mm -hmm. when you have that intention. And I have learned over the last several years that when I have set an intention and I am working towards that goal, the universe is finding the people that I need to work with. It's almost uncanny how that happens. So I am in one of those very moments where I don't know how the next step will happen. Uh, And partly it's, we need a lot of money, uh, funding for this project, but I'm trusting that the universe will make it happen because it has to. Uh, So much energy, And love, it's loving energy. It's not dark energy. Loving energy is going into this project from different people. The universe can't help but to help it, I think. So I'm going to go with that. And um, I will report back to you on it because I'm really counting on the universe making this happen. I look forward to you getting back to me on that and and hearing how, how it's unfolding in the right way and in a positive way. So give me the top three uh, top three manifestations that would help you along with this. We, you said obviously Ooh. funding, but I love that. Thank you. I would like, so yes, we need funding. And in fact, I'm just going to air it out loud. So the universe hears us, um, to get this project off the, off the ground, we need $200,000. And so I'm hoping that comes along. I'm hoping that the powers that be take notice of this program. It's brand new, Mm -hmm. it's ambitious, but it could be a huge solution. And I hope it allows me to solve other big problems. So those are the three I can think of. I love it. I love it. That's good stuff right there. And if people want to get in touch with you to get involved and to help, what is the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, my day job, is really helping people with their immigration issues. So if there's a, uh, and my specialty is helping business immigration. 
which is helping businesses with their talents or people, you know, starting their own company. So for that, I can be reached or anything actually at my website, which is watsonimmigrationlaw.com. People who want to keep on top of the news on immigration, we have a blog and we write about these things all the time. I have a bi-weekly column in a national magazine, legal magazine called Above the Law. Uh, I might, I should have something come out today. It's bi-weekly. I contribute to the Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, so they can find me there. But if anybody wants to connect, LinkedIn is a great place. Uh, it's okay. And my um, profile is Tamina Watson. Excellent. Oh, and I have a podcast. My podcast yes, is <laughs> <laughs> called Tamina Talks Immigration. And um, I love having a podcast. I love, Michelle, that you have a podcast. I really didn't know how much I'd love it when I started it. And I had no idea what I was doing with it when I started it. I don't know if you remember I conversations do. about that. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know, but I just know this is something I feel drawn to do without understanding yeah. why. And it's been amazing because I've got to connect with so many beautiful, different people and their souls. And it, it's been such a thrill and an honor to learn about um, different people and what they're passionate about. And it's like a ripple effect. I, I meet one person and then something they say, maybe I go and research or read some more and um, it, it brings my attention to something else. And then I connect with a person, a, a place, an idea, and then that just opens up more opportunities. And it's, it's been so fun and so exciting. And I know there's great purpose to it. Not, not just for me, but for the way that these stories shared touch other people's lives, how it inspires them to perhaps have the courage to answer what's calling to them, whether they feel like it makes sense or not. Like you were saying, like, no way am I doing immigration law, but that calling was there and you, you felt just really drawn to answer it. And now finding in hindsight, really how meaningful that was, because here you are doing something you feel very passionate about, that's very much needed in the world. And that's something too, people, I think need to trust that, that whatever it is that they feel called to do, it's not too small. It, it is needed and it is important. And you are going to touch people's lives and it makes a positive impact. And we need that so desperately right now in humanity, because I I feel like people are so off course and so um, just feeling disconnected. And this is a way that we can feel connected when we share and when we inspire each other. And so for me, it's exciting to be able to share these stories with people from all over the world. You know, I'm always shocked at where I'm getting listeners from, you know, it, it's Bali or Costa Rica or India. And it, it's just fun to think about, oh, who's listening there? I want to meet them. I want to know what they're like and what they're about and what they do. And so not only is it that, but also the process of me just going through this and meeting people and talking to people and the positive impact it's having on my life and my journey. So it's really quite an honor and a privilege to connect with people this way. And um, I, I imagine you feel the same through your podcast. And it's, it's just been really fun. So anybody out there listening, if you've 
ever thought about creating a podcast, I, I highly recommend looking into it. And I'd be happy to help you direct you to some people and resources that could help you with that. But um, also, I think too, um, you know, I did want to ask you about, I, I was reading a little bit about the startup visa. And it's something I never thought about when you think about immigration is entrepreneurs, you know, in, in bringing this, it, whether it's somebody wanting to start a, a business in the United States, or whether it's somebody being recruited to come work for a business that's already existing in the United States. And um, I had never even thought about that, but really what is the impact of that? What, what is our main block to that? Because it seems like in the United States, there's an issue with that visa. So yeah. would you mind touching on that just a little bit? Yeah, well, thank you so much. I so appreciate everything you just said and the power of podcasting. Um, in terms of the startup visa, we forget history. America is a nation of immigrants. And the immigrants that came here shaped the country. My book, The Startup Visa, is a summary of, of what entrepreneurs have done in this country. And from Jamestown to the, you know, the settlement to current day, Elon Musk. Immigrants have put America on the map. You know, we, we go to Nordstrom. We don't think about it twice, but Nordstrom himself was a Swedish person. Um, Levi's jeans, we wear it with pride and we think it's American. And yes, it is American, but um, he was from Europe. I want to say the Czech Republic. I can't remember right this moment. A lot of first generation, second generation immigrants have created companies that really have put America on the map and we don't think about it twice. Walt Disney, second generation immigrant, you know, immigrants have been part of the fabric of this country. Entrepreneurship is part of America's backbone. Mm -hmm. And these two things don't match at the moment in the way it needs to, because businesses, the way it uh, runs and operates has, has changed over the, the decades. Now you can just have a mobile phone and a laptop and operate a million dollar business. Um, the way startup companies are formed and they get investment from American investors is not looked upon properly enough to give a visa for that category. Now, to just give a background, our immigration laws, laws of this time were set from 1950 and 60. The big change came in 1990 and that was it. And so think about the evolution of technology since then, globalization, the way, way the world operates. Immigration laws do not stay in, the, mm -hmm. in its times. It's so old and antiquated. And so the law needs to be updated in general. That's why if you turn on the news, you hear about immigration reform as we speak. We need it because you need to fix the ankle bone and the knee bone and the hip bone together. If you fix just one of these, it's still going to be wonky. We need a system mm -hmm. that survives the 21st century. That's where we have the biggest problem. But with a startup visa, there would be a visa specifically for founders and entrepreneurs who are coming from different countries to start their companies with investors' money 
US investors. So we don't have that. But I would highly recommend people read it if this is of an interest uh, of interest to them, because it goes through the immigration history of this country. It goes through entrepreneurship history. I also talk about the law as it stands and why the visa categories that we have are not sufficient for the modern day startup. But if if somebody is a startup founder, they can read that and understand how to mold their own case to be successful. And then I talk about what Congress can do and what the administration can do. Um, so it's a it's it's a book I'm very proud of because the first book was written in 2015 and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. But in 20. 21 in July, I I released the second edition. And there's a podcast series that goes with the book, thought leaders from around the country talk about this issue, so people can learn about it. And the foreword is written by somebody called Brad Feld, who is a notable investor in this field, in everything, actually. And I'm so honored and proud that he wrote the foreword. So the book is a mighty book. Um, Mm -hmm. And it actually has been submitted to Congress, because they were discussing this issue. So I was able to submit the book on the record. Uh, And I have a little video with um, a Congresswoman mentioning my name during the hearing. So that was exciting. So that's in a nutshell what the startup visa is. And I'd love for people to read it and give me feedback. If they have questions, I'd love to answer them. That's excellent. I love it. And it's something I want to learn more about. And you know, my my um, grandparents, my mother's parents um, were immigrants from Belgium. Mm-hmm. So, um, and their family started a business um, along with some other Belgians that they knew and relatives and they united and started a business in Jackson, Michigan. And um, the, it's still there. You Amazing. Know, it, it's still gone down these family lines for years and years and years. Amazing. And these were people that, let's see, my grandpa was first, he came over first um, and wanted a, a Belgian wife. And my grandmother's relatives were already over here and they said, go get, you know, go get Ferilda was her name, go get Ferilda. <laughs> and he did. They didn't know each other. He sent for her. My grandma thought, I'm out of here. I'm going you know, she really thought the streets were paved with gold. She was a little disappointed to find out they were not. <laughs> However, <laughs> she was able to be reunited with family and, and start a life here. So just having that, that heritage, you know, it's not that far off for a lot of people. We're still, you know, there are first and second generation immigrants. This isn't like you're thinking about the people that came in the early 1800s. It's constantly happening. And, and as it should, and as was really the opportunity that was meant to be afforded to everybody. So, you know, I know it's complicated and it doesn't matter, you know, one administration to the next, there's always issues, sometimes worse than others, <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. complicated in in different ways. But um, I'm really hoping that, that our awareness around it, um, you know, you're helping to bring awareness around that, that's much needed to just every common person. Um, And then, you know, inspiring those who are in a position to help, whether it be in law or whether it be in the community, like you said, the the people going to help, you know, pick up in the van or bring much needed goods to those who might need a a backpack, a toothbrush, um, you know, just some basic change of clothes. 
-hmm. there's so many different ways that people can get involved. So they can. I want to add, I just want to just take your grandparents' story just for a moment because mm -hmm. how wonderful that you remember it and you know it mm -hmm. and you can speak about it. But if you just think about what they did in that community, they created jobs, they added mm -hmm. to the economy, and it's gone on for generations. So it's yes. almost like you, it's almost unquantifiable how much they have contributed to that particular local area, but that adds to the country. That's the example of what immigrant entrepreneurs do every day, because mm -hmm. they come in and they're brave enough to, they're entrepreneurial. Immigrants are entrepreneurial. There are many studies of it to show they are entrepreneurial because you don't want to rely on anybody. You want to just go use your hands and make something. And so it, it is interesting. And that's exactly why we need the startup visa. Yeah. You know, it starts with a hope and a dream. And I do think this, the spirit of the individual that, that um, has the courage to come and try to do that too, you know, they are really resilient and passionate individuals, I think. And by, by necessity, a lot of the mm -hmm. times, you know, if you're going <laughs> to survive over here and maybe like my grandma didn't know the language, she didn't. And it, you know, she learned to speak it by doing and, um, you know, it grew up and she would speak English and she would speak Flemish. And I, I know certain Flemish sayings. And as she got older, she reverted back to speaking just mostly Flemish, which was interesting. But, um, you know, just the, the, the history of it and that gets shared, you know, through the generations. Actually, I interviewed my mom for the podcast. She won't let me air it, but I have <laughs> interviews of her recorded. And one specifically was her experience growing up with immigrant parents. And she had said, mm. she didn't think of them as immigrants. She just thought mm. of them as her parents, mm. but that, you know, in, in hindsight, looking at it, um, she didn't realize initially that it was so different from some of her friends, you know, but it, it was a really interesting conversation and I'm still hoping that she'll let me air it. Oh, <laughs> I work I on her does. for that. I hope um, she does. Have, have a listen to this one. It might inspire her. <laughs> I will. She thinks it's so funny what I'm doing. She says, oh, you're going to get too smart for your own good. She says, or you're <laughs> just talk to so many interesting people and they're just <laughs> things that she had never heard of or thought of before. So I think it, she really enjoys it even if they don't all resonate with her, mm -hmm. she enjoys just listening and seeing what I'm exploring. And it's really fun. I just talked to her this morning, actually. And um, she was uh, um, trying to sign into my website on her iPad, which is really interesting to help her do over the phone. <laughs> so. I can just about imagine I have a mm -hmm. similar situation. Well, I'm so happy that you have found this calling and you're yeah, you're doing you. this and I I'm looking forward to seeing how it all unfolds for you yes well let's keep connected I think that we will I know that we will and I look forward to just seeing how things keep opening up for you not only in this field of work but in other areas of your life too I love Thank it you. Thank I'm you. definitely um, feel very blessed and honored to have come to know you and Me I look too. forward to just keeping connected. So thank you. Very much. Likewise. Likewise. I'm so grateful, Michelle. And in closing, is there anything else you want to share? I think you've shared um, the best places to get in contact with you, but 
beyond that, anything else to say? I think I'll leave people with um, a note about your podcast title. I think calling is something we don't often feel or listen to or ignore. And the reason the message keeps coming to you to do something is because you're meant to do it. And I think, you know, your podcast is very much about finding out people's callings and your listeners should pay attention to what they're saying and how they're hearing those callings. And, you know, they should recognize the callings within themselves because often we just don't know it's a calling. You're sort of like, oh, that's not me or I'm not supposed to do that or who am I? These are questions mm-hmm. I ask myself every time. But there's a reason you're being drawn to that. So maybe that's the lasting message. (laughs) I love that. And I'll just add a little to that. Somebody had said, and I can't remember who it was recently, but they said, when you think about whatever it is, whether it's a podcast or being a musician or doing meditation, or maybe you're going to open a business and they think, oh, there's already thousands of people doing that. And And they said, but nobody's doing it with your voice. And there are, there are only people out there that will hear and receive what you have to offer from you. So it doesn't matter if there's 10,000 people doing whatever it is you feel called to do, because there's still millions of people out there that will only hear it, receive it from you. So you're still needed that voice. So I love that, Tamina, and I wish you all the best in everything that you have going on. Thank you. Uh, I just love Tamina. She is such a bright spirit and just really interesting to talk to. And I've, you know, touched base with her in some other classes and, and we were chatting about something that we just ended the interview with and that sometimes you just feel called to do something or something keeps coming up, popping up in your life. And you're thinking, what is that about? And you, you kind of poo poo it even on a subconscious level or dismiss it or push it to the side. And cause you can't make sense of it. Like what, why is it there? Or who am I to think that maybe I could do art or who am I to think that I should be singing or whatever it may be that comes up for you. And you kind of get that imposter syndrome and and something I call the shitty committee might come up in your head where, you know, they can tell you 10,000 reasons why it's a silly idea. And I just encourage you to maybe just trust it. Even if you don't understand it, even if it feels scary, even if it feels silly, just trust it and take a step in that direction and see where it takes you. And maybe you don't have to know where it's going to take you. Just know and trust that the process of exploring it has meaning not only for you, but perhaps for other people. And I think that's where I'll leave it today. And I thank you so much for tuning in today and listening. If you like what you hear, please always just share with a friend or a family member or share on your social media. If you think this will resonate with somebody you know and love. You can find me at my website, which is michellehaines.net. I do have all the episodes there. And then you can also find me on Facebook, 1111 Calling with Michelle Haynes. You can find me on Instagram, 1111 Calling with Michelle Haynes. And you can find this podcast on any 
podcasting platform. If you feel drawn to, I would love for you to follow the podcast, rate and review the podcast as that helps me attract more listeners. Well, thank you so much, everybody. I wish you all the best. Much love to you all.